0: Good morning, everyone. It's time for us to get started. As most of you recall, I love when we get a chance to greet one another. So if you wouldn't mind standing up and let's wave or uh, let a neighbor know you're glad that you're here this morning at the West Irwin Church of Christ. Good morning. If the skies above you are gray, you are feeling so blue. If your cares and burdens seem gray all the whole day through, there's a silver lining that shines in that heavenly land. Look by faith and see it, my friend. Trust in his promises, grand. Sing and be happy, press on to the goal. Trust him. Who leads you, he will keep your soul at all Be faithful, look to him and pray. Lift your eyes, praise him in song. Sing and be happy today. Off we're troub- troubled and tired, sick with sorrow and pain. There are others living in sin, blessed with earthly gain. Take new courage, we cannot tell what the morrow may bring. When the dark clouds vanish away, then your heart truly can sing. Sing and be faithful, press on to the goal. Trust him who leads you, he will keep your soul at all.
1: To, uh, it, it, we want to extend a welcome to each one of you that are here today. And if you're worshiping with us online, you're uh, welcome as well. Uh, it's a great opportunity to, to be a part of West one one way or the other. Uh, a few announcements. Uh, the, this, this evening at 5 p.m., we'll have a singing, uh, all church singing in the chapel. And this is today. And we have congratulations to the Weathers families, uh, to Glenn and Fran Starnes, and to Janine Hughes. Uh, they all had births within their family this week, and I'm sure if you want to know more about any one of them, you can ask one of these uh, family members. The. Uh, In Second 2 Timothy 2:15, we're all familiar with this: "As study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." The elders uh, try to provide here at West Irwin the opportunities to study and to learn more about Scripture and about our belief, and this is done through Bill's sermons, uh, through classes that the staff conducts and through our uh, very, very talented and capable teachers that we have in our educational department. Um, On October 23rd and 24th will be another opportunity to learn more about Christian evidences. This is uh, one way that we can learn how scriptures and science aligns and how to equip and answer uh, ourselves with questions about the creation and uh, also there'll be a a class on uh, evolution and creation and about the dinosaur problem. Uh, I guess the problem with the dinosaurs is there is no dinosaurs today. But uh, this is a great opportunity for us to to increase our faith in in scripture. Uh, Kyle Butt with uh, Apologetic Press will be here. For those two days, and uh, if you would invite your friends and family members that would uh, benefit from this, Their brochures as we've said before in the in the foyer, take some of those and and pass those out. Um, and probably being a little optimistic, but uh, we would ask our our church members to park in one of the remote parking areas and leave room around the building for our visitors and guests, some of them, it'll be the first time that they'll be here at West Irwin, and we need to uh, make sure that they uh, have a place to park up close. The, uh, one other thing, uh, the Christian Homes Fall Dinner and Fundraiser that had been originally scheduled for October the 19th has been uh, postponed. There were some, some problems with that, and they postponed that. So, if you were planning on going, uh, uh, keep check for a new date for that. If you would, let's uh, begin with prayer. Father, we come before you this morning uh, with, with grateful hearts that you are our Father, that we can bring our petitions and wants and needs to you, that we can offer our thanksgivings for all that you've done for us. Father, you've provided uh, a way of, of life eternal with you. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus and for the blood that he shed that cleanses us from our sins. Father, uh, we have many that are, are sick or have physical issues at this time. We pray that you would be with them. Uh, we're mindful of Clinton Culpepper and Ralph Henderson, Janice Hardaway. Uh, John Gibson's great niece, uh, Sharon Hammond, uh, Candy Hilliard, Kelly Plunk, Eli Hodges. Father, there are others. Uh, you know them, and uh, we ask that you'd be with them and heal them and uh, return them to their health if it's yes, I will. Father, we're thankful for the, the new births that uh, have been announced today. We we pray that you will be with those families as they raise these children. Uh, we pray that they will raise them to uh, always honor and, and glorify you. Pray that they will teach them uh, teach them your ways and write their your words of love and courage and encouragement and salvation upon their hearts. Father, uh, it seems like we've lost a lot of our, our loved ones and church family members and family members lately, we pray that you'll be with those that have lost loved ones lately or who have had services for them uh, recently. Father, we continue to pray for the family of, of Brian Brown after his death, for the Hughes family after the death of James, for Rusty Lay and the passing of his mother, and funeral services that were yesterday. Father, we're mindful of the Fennel family and the recent loss of Pam's father, David Miller. We pray that you'll be with uh, that family and the Miller family. For Mike Martin and the death of his brother, Steve, we ask for your blessings upon them. For the Starnes uh, and the death of their brother-in-law and the Carnethans and recent death of of, uh, Susie's cousin. Father, and for the recent death of uh, Davy Carter's cousin's wife, we pray that you'll be with them, and also the, the Bo Stevens family, and the passing of, of John's father, Bo. Father, we pray that you'll be with the Charles Valentine family. Uh, both Charles and, and Bo were, were great servants in your kingdom, and, and uh, spread your word throughout many areas in, in this country. Father, we pray that you'll place your loving spirit of comfort around these families, that you will uh, comfort them in in the passing of their loved ones, and that you will continue to be with them in the days to come. Father, we are mindful of the situation in our nation today. We ask that you would be with our nation, that you will be with our state and, and our community. We pray that the, the elected and appointed officials that have influence or control over many aspects of our lives, we pray that you'll be with them. We pray that they will not be be prideful, for we know the know the uh, what the scripture says about pride that a man's pride will bring him down, that will bring him low. But to honor Will uphold the humble in spirit. We pray that they will not be lazy or encourage laziness. For your scriptures tell us a man will not, who will not work should not either eat. And we pray that Thy will, that we pray they will not uh, seek power to be first. For we know that you have told us that the first shall be last and the last first pray for their humility pray that they will serve to bring honor to to our country and all it represents not to be prideful and we ask father uh, that not only our leaders of our country but us as individuals that you will help us not to be prideful or lazy or search for power but to be humble Help us to bring honor and glory to you who we serve. Father, uh, this all begins with us. We pray that you will help us in our, our uh, daily walk with you. Please forgive us of our sins uh, and help us overcome weaknesses in our lives to be more like Jesus. Through his name we pray, amen.
0: Chapter 10 verses 38 and 39, the word of God says, take up your cross and follow me. Let's sing
2: together. I travel down the holy road. And was to see the air. A
3: We look at a flower from a mother's grave in memory of man's first and truest earthly friend. We look at a faded picture of a father in remembrance of him who guided us in our early years. We look at a lock of baby's golden hair in memory of her who was with us a short time. We go to Washington's Monument and stand with our heads bowed in memory of the father of our country. We gather around the Lord's table and take of the Lord's Supper in memory of him who said, this do in remembrance of me. Hallowed flowers kept within the pages of a Bible Disintegrate into fragments and powder with time. Once cherished pictures of a loved one, transformed by the years, it turns into unrecognizable scraps of paper. Marble monuments are first effaced and then finally, over time, they're leveled. But the Lord's Supper is one memorial that is never disintegrated, transformed, or effaced by time. Neither the grinding of the elements nor the wearing of time can keep this monument from standing in the memory of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pause in this moment of our worship to you on the Lord's Day to partake of the Lord's Supper. We will take mementos that represent your body and your blood that was shed. We partake of this bread, first of all, Father, and remember your body that was sacrificed on the behalf of every person in this auditorium. You loved each one of us. You gave your life for us. And we pause at this moment in time to remember that. We take this little piece of unleavened bread, and to us it reminds us of your great sacrifice. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, we continue in this memorial feast. We now hold in our hand a little vial of fruit of the vine. And as we partake of it as Christians, it represents the blood that you shed for us, for every person in this auditorium. Again, I'll say it, you loved us. And you gave your blood, and it is through that blood that we have hope of eternal life. So Father, thank you. We appreciate what you did for us. We'll never understand the the love, and we just hope we can show our gratitude as we now partake of this fruit of the vine in memory of that blood. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We now have opportunity to... Perform another act of worship, and that is, we have the the privilege to return a portion of uh, the money that we earn, that we receive, and it's a good thing because we have a lot of programs, a lot of efforts that go forth from West Irwin, all in the hopes that we can reach people with the gospel to provide a method of salvation for people. It's a wonderful thing to help people. And West Irwin is to be commended over the years of of work that has been done. And so now as we pray over the funds that will be collected, uh, we just give thanks to, to the Lord, and we hope that everything that's been done and will be done will glorify Him. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that we have this opportunity to return to you. And Father, whatever means by which we do it online or drop our contribution off in person today or mail it, however we plan to do it, we just thank you. And we're glad that we can participate in this contribution. We hope that these funds will ultimately reach lost souls because that is the important thing that we're trying to accomplish bless the funds thank you for the opportunity to participate it's in jesus name we pray amen
4: Let's sing, Jesus Loves the Little Children, while ours come up for kids' time today. (laughs) Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Jesus died for all the children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus died for all the children of the world. We'll sing about how Jesus rose for all the children in just a little bit. We may have a few more that will come. Um, But I want to teach you something, and then I want us to sing a really fun, familiar song, okay? We have a special thing coming up in two weeks. That's two weeks, actually 13 days. And it's gonna be a lot of fun for you and it's gonna be a really good thing for your family. And so I want to teach you a question for you to ask your family members. Maybe your mommy or daddy, maybe a grandparent, someone else. And I want you to repeat the question after me. Okay, are you ready? Here's the question. Are we registered yet? Can you repeat that? Ready? Are we registered yet? Okay, I want you to ask your family when you go back or later on this afternoon, and we'll practice that at the end before we go to our seats. Now, what I want us to do, because what this special event is going to be about, it's going to be about God's wonderful creation and how he made everybody and how he saved us all. And one of the fun fun songs that you all sing, that Mr. Bill is going to try to lead today, is Arky Arky. Y'all all all know that one, right? Okay, now there's about 116 verses, so what we're going to do is we're going to sing the rise and shine part first, and then we're going to sing the rise and shine part at the end, but in the middle, we're just going to sing that whole story about Noah and the ark, okay? Okay? Are you ready? Take a deep breath. Mr. Bill, take another deep breath. Okay, ready? Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Children of the Lord. Lord said to Noah, there's gonna be a floody, floody. Lord said to Noah, there's gonna be a floody, floody. Get those children out of the muddy, muddy children of the Lord. Lord said to Noah, to build him an arky, arky. Lord said to Noah, to build him an arky, arky. Build it out of Go for barky, barky children of the Lord. The animals, they came in, they came in by twosies, twosies. The animals, they came in, they came in by twosies, twosies. Elephants and kangaroosies, roosies, children of the Lord. It rained and rained for 40 days and nights and days. It rained and rained for 40 days and nights and days. It almost drove those people crazy, crazy children of the Lord. Noah, he sent out, he sent out a dovey-dovey, Noah, he sent out, he sent out a dovey-dovey-dovey, said there's blue skies above abovey-bovey, children of the Lord. The sun came out and dried up the landy-landy, sun came out and dried up the landy-landy, everything worked out just dandy-dandy, children of the Lord. So rise and shine, and give God the glory, glory, rise and shine, and give God the glory, glory, rise and shine, and give God the glory, glory, children of the Lord. Well, that was a great duet by Mr. Michael and Mr. Bill, so that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining in. Now, I taught you a question. Do you remember it? What was it? Are we registered yet? Okay, go ask your family about that while we sing the last verse of this song. And then you can also go to our children's worship and blast. Okay? Jesus rose for all the children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus rose for all the children of the world.
0: I had the best seat in the house. That was awesome. Let's sing ancient words, and then we'll have our lesson this morning.
2: If you find it convenient, we encourage you to stand as we sing ancient (laughs) words. Oh, holy birds, we
4: seems that many in our culture think of Christians as the bad guys, yet we are to be the light of the world. Last week we began a sermon series, How to Be Good Bad Guys, and last week we asked the question, are we the good guys or the bad guys? And of course, in God's eyes, we're the good guys, and to many in our culture, we're the good guys. But what we acknowledged last week is that to many in our culture, people of faith, people who believe in the Bible, people who believe in the God of the Bible, people who seek to practice and live out biblical values are considered the bad guys by some in our culture today, even in this country. And yet we realize that in the first century, that is exactly the situation with God's people. Jesus himself was crucified on the cross, and you don't crucify people that you think are the good guys. He was convicted wrongly and sentenced to death wrongly and was crucified unjustly. And then the Father, as you know, raised him from the dead, and then he ascended to heaven, and then he left his people here and began the church just within weeks after his ascension. And so as we think about that, and we think about that first century church, and we read this book that we call the Bible that we believe in very strongly, and we read those messages to the Christians of uh, the New Testament times, and we read what happened through the book of Acts, we realize that the Christians that are talked about in this Bible, well, they were considered in their culture, in their time, by their community, to be the bad guys. And they were persecuted strongly. As we saw last week, they had some favor for a while. But then, that went away, and they began to be persecuted. And that persecution didn't stop until sometime in the 300s A.D. And so for longer than our country has existed... The church that we read about in our New Testament was persecuted and did not have the backing or support of the government around them. In fact, the governing authorities around them sought to destroy them. It seems many in our culture now today as well think of Christians as the bad guys, yet we are to be the light of the world. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. You're to be the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That call to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world is not dependent on how receptive our culture is to choosing light over darkness. It's not always very receptive to that message. But that doesn't change our call. We are still called to be that light of the world even though the culture around us may insist and strongly on remaining in darkness and may punish us for asking them to choose light and for choosing light ourselves so how did we get here that's the question we're addressing today that if that's the situation not not overseas somewhere not even in the first century, but if that's the situation today, in 2021 America, how did we get here? How did we get to the place where the Bible and Christianity, biblical values, even Christians themselves are looked upon by many as the bad guys? Sure, there are a lot of reasons. I want to share three things today that speak to that question, how did we get here? First of all, it is partly because of the cultural shift away from respecting biblical values and Christians. We've seen our culture, even if our culture never officially completely lived by those values or were active in their Christian faith themselves, it seems in the history of our country for the most part Biblical values and and Christians have been respected by our culture, but we've seen that no longer be the case for many. And so there's been a cultural shift away from respecting biblical values and Christians. Stephen McAlpine has written a book entitled, Being the Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says You Shouldn't. And that's part of the inspiration for this sermon series... Of course, the last several years is the real inspiration for this sermon series. In that book, he speaks of three cultures, first culture, second culture, and third culture. Here's first culture. First culture, we could say, is the time of BC. It's before Christ. It's the time before Jesus came and lived and spoke and established his church. And during that time, before the coming of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, before the establishment of his church, everyone pretty much had their own god or gods and worshipped them. Every nation had their own god, every people had their own gods, and they, and they worshipped them and they lived their lives according to what they thought their god taught And they pretty much kept to themselves about it. They didn't really try to reach out and convert others to their God or their teaching. The one thing they did do was try to go to battle against a a different people who served a different God to take their land. That was about a different issue. But they all seemed to have that. And, And as you look at ancient cultures, you see, even though they didn't agree necessarily with the God of the Old Testament... They had some form of deity or deities that informed how they should live. Well, that was first culture. Second culture is the time of Christ. It's Christianity. Christianity is more evangelistic, as you know. Christians were not just... uh, Uh, persuaded to follow their God and their Lord Jesus Christ and live according to his teaching, but they understood that a part of that teaching was to spread that message. And so there was a deep evangelistic part to Christianity that really hadn't been seen on the world stage. And Christianity was committed to equality, but equality in this sense, equality in the sense of John 3.16, for God so loved who? The world, not the Jews, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Acts 17 verse 30, as, as Paul was speaking in the center of pagan worship <laughs> in the Greek and Roman world in Athens, Greece, in Acts 17 verse 30, he said, the time of this ignorance, this worship of false gods creation rather than creator the time of this ignorance god was able to uh wink at he was able to endure but now he commands all people everywhere to repent so there's a sense of equality in that this message is for everyone as we sing sometimes the gospel is for whom for all the gospel is for all and christians took that seriously and still do And so that was second culture. It was Christianity uh, in a very evangelistic sense, but in a culture that still had beliefs about deity. And that was pretty much the case from the time the church was established until not very long ago. In fact, that That church, that Christian value, that biblical believer, and people who address Jesus as Lord, to a great extent from the time of the AD 300s, till roughly uh, 50, 60 years ago maybe, or maybe even 20, 15 or 20 years ago. They had the power. The power in the Western world, if we want to say that, Western Europe, including the United States the power was held by that group. People who believed in the Bible, even if they didn't uh, do what it said or perhaps understand it correctly, people who worshiped Jesus as Lord, or at least claimed to, they were the ones that had the power and authority, not just in government, but in culture. Well, that's changed. And so that brings us to third culture more and more third culture it seems where we are now is in a post christian reality and that's not to say that before everyone who claimed to be a christian actually was obedient to the will of god that's not true that's not that's not true that's a head in the sand kind of observation but it is to say that at least the majority of culture and the majority of those in authority claimed to And at least gave lip service to the teaching and values of scripture. Now that's not even the case, is it? And third, first and second cultures had something that third culture does not possess. McAlpine says, a spiritual or transcendent order that gave shape to the social order. That belief in deity and God, whatever that was, shaped how the culture would react and what values they had. Third culture rejects this spiritual reality. The third culture world is hermetically sealed off from anything transcendent and recognizes only horizontal identity constructions, not vertical ones. In other words, it's about how we treat each other, not about what God commands. Here is where meaning is determined. And here is where authority lies. It is ours to construct, not God's, whoever that God might be. It is ours to construct and, dis- and deconstruct. This third culture is highly evangelistic and actively hostile to second culture values. And that's what we're seeing. And it's likely to get worse. While I don't agree that all in our society are like that, I do believe that that is a dominant position today, and it never has been, in this country at least. In other words, before Christianity, you had many religions and nations, pagan and Jewish. Then Jesus came and established his church, and over time, that became the predominant religion and cultural model for most Western nations, including the United States. Both first and second cultures acknowledge some spiritual vertical responsibility and source of life and law. For many today, however, especially from a practical perspective, they may not admit it, but this is how they live. The vertical no longer exists. The truth has been replaced by what? My truth or your truth. And there is no transcendent being that defines what truth is. You can get a peek at the God that many people serve today by looking in the mirror. For many today in our society, there is no responsibility to God or his word, but it's actually what's best for me? What works out best for me? What do I want? What makes me happy? that's what rules and decides how I live my life in our communities today. Not what does God say, what does God's word teach? Those who believe in a creator God, including, I think especially today, the God of the Bible are to be rejected and condemned in active, hostile ways. And we're beginning to see that and I think we'll see it more and more And in the world of 24-7 technology, communication, and propaganda, all of which that group is very good at, putting the truth and values of God's word and Christ's church into the discussion is our difficult task today. That's why one of my largest frustrations over the last 10 years or so has been the media, because they have discovered their power. They have discovered that if they're not objective, if they're just very subjective in how they write headlines, the stories they cover, the things they say about the news that they report, if they do that based on what best benefits their agenda, they have great power. Because there's really no God to answer to, no word of God to call them into account. And what we have to do is we have to get in the mix and put God's message out there as well. And that's hard. And we may pay a price for it. Well, in addition to that shift, secondly, there is a cultural and church shift away from the community to the individual. Let me repeat that. There is a cultural and church shift away from the community to the individual. And you notice I said cultural and church shift. Because it's not just those out there that are emphasizing the individual rather than the community, it's us, it's our individual members. The biblical perspective, however, has always emphasized the community over the individual and neighbor over self. From the time of Deuteronomy 6 that many of us are studying in our Bible classes, where God called on the community to be concerned for each other and for their children and their grandchildren, and transferring that message to the times of the New Testament church and today. God's people and the biblical perspective have emphasized community over individual. Neighbor over self. Our culture and even the church to a degree have shifted away from that to emphasize the individual's rights and preferences. Don't think that has infected the church? Try talking to someone who doesn't like the sermon the preacher preaches. Try talking to someone who doesn't like the songs the song leader leads. It's not about community. It's about my preference. What I like. Not what might speak to someone else, even if it doesn't speak to me. Our shepherd, during our shepherd's prayer time, Jay Bynum shared the thoughts from Jesus in Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28, when he said, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. You want to be the greatest? Then be the servant. Is that what you hear in our culture? No. In Luke 9, as Michael shared from Matthew 10, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And then several other scriptures are on your outline that talk about how the first century church was committed to community, telling members to do what is best for the community, to be concerned for each other, to deny yourself, to give up your rights, in effect, in order to help and encourage others. Far from where our communities are today, and to some degree, even the church where we demand our rights. We want things done our way. Whether it's good for the body or not. That's not the first question. First question is, what do I like? We turn to passages like Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 10 and we hear a very distinctive call. A very distinctive call. In Hebrews ten, he says 3, he says, encourage each other daily so that you can be faithful. Why? Because being faithful is hard. And because we care about each other in the community and not just ourselves. So be committed to encouraging others, not just yourself. And then in Hebrews 10, he puts it in the context of the worship assembly. And he says, this is why you go to church. And there are some who have forsaken and neglected doing that. But this is why this is important, because of the community. Because we need to encourage one another and build each other up. To be strong in the faith and to be faithful. And that is specifically what he describes as the purpose of the assembly, the worship assembly, in Hebrews 10 and also in 1 Corinthians 14. The church was meant to live in community. It's one of the things that have been tested most by the pandemic. But it's also one of the things that have been most affirmed and needed in the community. We've seen the importance of the online ability to live stream or record our services and play them, which has been a godsend. It's been a wonderful thing because we have many who still feel vulnerable and, and do not feel like they can take the risk of worshiping in person. And we get that. And we encourage you to continue worshiping online. These are people that are very connected. They worship each week online. They come each week or they do go online and they make their contribution. They, they get their communion cups. And they pray for this church and they pray for our leaders and they pray for us to be able to get back together all together again. And they even write notes and cards and and text messages encouraging others, but that's not everybody that's watching online and that hasn't come back yet. And I think you know who you are. (laughs) I don't think it's up to me or the elders or the ministers to say, that's you, that's not you. I think people know if you've gotten addicted to pajama church, (laughs) to not getting up earlier, to not making the trip, to be with your brothers and sisters. And it's not because of the risk. It's because it's just easier. It's just more comfortable. That is against everything in the New Testament teaching. Everything in the New Testament teaching is about community. It's about building each other up. It's about encouraging one another. And when we, without cause, neglect and forsake the worship assembly of the church, that is sinful. That is condemned in Scripture. And I have a great idea for those of you that might be watching this that haven't returned yet. If you feel like you can and you should, then I I think two weeks from now would be a great time. (laughs) during this wonderful event that we have on Christian evidences. And I would would encourage you to have a practice Sunday. I don't know, say next Sunday? To come on back and be with us. Why? Because you need that. And because we need you. We all pay a price when you could be here. And you're not here. And that's why God said, let's have a church and not just let's have individuals. That is our call. That is our need. Again, we're very grateful for the online church. For five weeks last year, that's all we had, as you remember. But that's not all we have now. The cultural and church shift away from the community to the individual is part of our problem because the world sees that and they get it and we lose our witness the church was meant to live in community thirdly today the church shift away from the kingdom of God for the kingdom of man I believe is a big part of the reason why we're considered the bad guys because people see that inconsistency We may talk a good game, but when they look at where we spend our time and what we spend our time on, and when they look at what we're committed to, what we most value, it's inconsistent. It's more about the kingdom of man than the kingdom of God. We have forgotten. We have forgotten the New Testament teaching about being devoted to the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. And we have also forgotten 2000 years of church history. (laughs) We look around at our world today and we think, wow, things have never been this bad. Really? Never? They were this bad in Bible times. And they weren't told, look, Try to to get a new emperor. Try to get a new Roman Senate. You know, if we could just turn those guys around and get our guys in there, we'll be good. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be okay. Matthew 6, 33. It's on Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, that I will build my church And the gates of hell will not prevail against it, much less some government. (laughs) Jesus made it clear in talking with Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, the man in authority. My kingdom is not of this world. Yes, you have power and authority. You even have power and authority to put me to death, Pilate, and he did. And Jesus says, but that's not what's ultimately important here. What's ultimately important here is my kingdom, not yours. Figure out how to do yours. But be devoted, first of all, to the kingdom of God, the kingdom that is not of this world. That very significant passage in Philippians 3 that warns first century Christians and us today and everyone since to be careful about the sway and pull of the world. Because it puts hungers in us that are every bit as real as what our stomach feels when we're hungry. And when we decide to fulfill those cravings primarily, the cravings of our physical and emotional needs rather than our spiritual needs, then in the words of Paul in Galatians, have not we become carnal ourselves? This is the result of the second culture association and connection between the church and the state, starting with the Roman church under the converted Emperor Constantine in the 300s AD, and continuing on to the Holy Roman Empire through Western Europe and certain other areas of the world and through most of the history of the United States. It is seen in our nation in the connection between the people of God, which is not the United States of America. (laughs) It's what? The church, the church here and in every other country around the world. It's seen in our nation in the connection between the people of God, the church, and the interpretation and application of the political and cultural law of the land, which in our case is the Constitution. It is seen in most of the political leaders and especially in the cultural norms and practices in most of U.S. history. All of those on the surface anyway have been connected with God and the teaching of the Bible until now, until now. The question is, what does that mean for us and what are we most upset about? I'll say more about that in a minute, but let's look back on that scripture in Philippians 3 where it says our citizenship is where? In heaven. Oh, well, that was just in the Roman Empire days. Really? That was meant for every day, every people, every citizen of every nation. We recognize first of all, first, we are devoted citizens of heaven. And in pleasing our God, we try to be good citizens here. The Bible and its people and values, mostly with exceptions, have had the political and cultural sway and power since the forming of our nation. That is true. They didn't fulfill that completely and perfectly, but their desire was to go there. And to form a nation based on that, we are now seeing that power and that position and respect replaced with the secular, self-worshipping, godless values of the day. And that's what's going on in our country right now. Our country. I personally have two primary concerns in this moment. I have a lot of concerns. (laughs) I know you do too. But I have two that are primary, and they may surprise you. This one probably won't. The first is that we will buy into the godless worship of self and convenience, just like Paul warns against in Philippians 3. That we will throw away our inheritance for a bowl of stew, just as Esau did in Genesis 25. It is a real temptation for us to give up our devotion to Jesus Christ as Lord and our obedience of God's Word when we see that if we hold on to those convictions, we will pay a price. Now, for some, that price might be an extra hour or two of sleep or getting dressed when I don't want to or coming to be around people I'm not sure that I agree with or even like and, and hearing songs and, and sermons that are not my favorite And if that's why we don't come here, then we're acting worldly. We're acting based on what we want and the desires of the flesh. The lure of a less threatening, more convenient, self-serving life that accepts the ways and pull of the world around us is strong indeed. And my concern is, if we won't stand up and do the little things, like just go to church when they come and want to take our house or put us in jail or put locks on the doors out there, why would we even begin to think that we would make that sacrifice? If we can't sacrifice in the little things now, uh, going to a seminar, (laughs) gathering with Christians on a Sunday evening to sing praises to our God, If that's too much of a sacrifice for us, what's it going to be like when the authorities come and say, you can't say the name of Jesus in a divisive way anymore, and we decide what is divisive. That's my first concern. My second concern is this, that Satan is tempting Christians to be more upset with losing our political power than we are with serving the king of kings and seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness in the midst of the changing political times. What are we upset about now today? That it's not like it was in the 50s? It's not like it was 30 years ago? That it's becoming more and more like the New Testament times? Are we upset about that? More than anything else, because Bible-believing people are losing their power in this country. Is that what's upsetting us? And not the kingdom of God that can operate whatever the political climate and has for 2,000 years. That's how we respond. Not only will we lose what should be the focus of our own lives, but our witness will be deeply damaged as well. The people and community around us will be able to see right through us. They will see what is most important to us. They will know where our emphasis is, what our priorities are, and where our values lie. And they will reject us and our message as just another political lobby or group. And that's how they'll see us. If it's not based on the kingdom of God, whatever the political climate, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Not because my candidate won, I can face tomorrow. Not because my political party has control of Congress, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, however that other stuff works out, I can face tomorrow. Are you ready for the good news? I hate sermons like this. Can I just tell you that? John, if you guys could just erase that out when you put this online, I'd really appreciate it. I hate sermons like The good news, the good news is, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be this way. I believe these concerns are answered by our identifying with the Church of the New Testament, not the church of this country over the last 250-plus years. Because the Church of the New Testament, they lived in that transition time from when the church first began and before Christians were considered good guys. By the powers that be in the AD 300s and after. Just as we said last week, if we are thought of as the bad guys by the culture around us, we are in good company. That's exactly how the people of their day thought of Jesus and the first century Christians. First Peter makes that clear. In fact, tells them they think it's strange in 1 Peter 4 that you live by the values you live by. And they persecute you for it. Hebrews the same. First and 2 Thessalonians the same. And then Paul writes this in 1 Timothy 2 when he says, pray for them. Pray for those leaders. Pray for those leaders that are trying to kill you. Pray for those leaders that are putting you in jail. Pray for those leaders that are seeking to destroy the church. Pray for them. Why? So that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. Why, Paul? Because we really want peaceful and quiet lives? No, because there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And we want to be able to preach him and live by his word and teach his name in a peaceful and quiet society. But if it doesn't happen, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is living faithfully according to the word of God with Jesus as my Lord. And if there's a price to be paid, then we'll pay it. We pray that it won't happen, but our devotion is to the kingdom of God Our citizenship is, first of all, in heaven. This morning I was reading through John 13 through 17, that passage where Jesus is about to be taken from them, about to be crucified in front of their eyes. And what does he talk about there? He talks about love and living a life of love, of being servants, of being faithful and obedient, of suffering. And persecution, But in the midst of all of that, what does he talk about? Hope, peace, joy. Not because those situations are going to get better. Because they're going to get worse. He tells them that plainly. But because he lives, you can face tomorrow, Jesus says, because I live. And that's what people need today. And they need that from us. They need to see people whose lives are filled with hope and promise and assurance and peace and are willing to suffer for it because they love Jesus so much because they're devoted to the kingdom of God so much that they have great hope, they have great peace, and they even have joy, (laughs) even joy. Not because the circumstances are good or their guy won, but because Jesus won and the tomb is empty. Next week, we'll begin looking at how to be good bad guys, beginning with doing our homework so that we can be prepared and have input in the questions and discussions of the day. That's why our seminar is so important and so timely and so needed because these are the questions people are asking today and they're asking us. And we can join in the discussion and we can share that this is a very credible book based on all the historical evidence and witness. That the resurrection of Jesus is a very credible thing to believe in. It's still by faith, but it is a credible faith. God has a great history of taking Satan's best strategies and working them out for the good of his kingdom and his people. If our society views us as the bad guys then our call, as was the call in the first century, is to be good bad guys. We end this morning with this great reminder from Scripture. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let me tell you, Romans 8.28 is still true today. And it's not because of who won the last election or who will win the next one. It is because God is at work. And he's at work in and through us. When we live lives of hope and peace and joy, right in the big fat middle of whatever is out there, because he lives. Our very difficult and challenging time can be seen as a great opportunity to give the people and community around us the hope and peace and joy they seek. And that can be found in only one person: Jesus. This morning, if you need that hope, come as we stand, sing our song together. I stand.
1: Everything you've given us, Father. These are trying times. These are very challenging days, and Father, I pray that you would be with each and every one of us as we go out into this world and we live a life that is holy and pleasing to you. Father, I pray that you would arm us with your word so that we may we may evangelize. And Father, I pray that um, that you would be with us every step of the way. Father, I thank you so much for giving us a place like this to come together with like-minded people. And Father, I pray that you continue to look over us and bless us with such an amazing place. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we go back home and as we go back into our work week. And it's in your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.